next week, we're planning right now to start looking at where God's taking us in the, in the future. Right? That the last 10 years have, have been great. Uh, God, I feel like, gave us a clear vision for the first 10 years. Um, but where are we going in the next 10? And I don't really necessarily have a 10-year or 5-year or 3-year goal. Um, every time I've had one of those, God had different plans. But I do believe God gives us a direction. And starting next week, I want to begin sharing with you that direction of what I feel like God's been putting in our heart, putting in my heart, showing me, teaching me, really, probably over the last year. And, and so I'm excited to share that with you uh, beginning next week. Today, though, we've been talking for the last several weeks about getting ready, about preparing our heart. And, and I feel like what God's put on my heart for today is really imperative uh, for us anytime to accomplish God's purposes, for God to accomplish his purposes in us individually, but also for God, more importantly, to accomplish his purposes through us corporately as his church. And so today, that's what I want to share with you. I want to look at this topic and, and introduce this to, to you in just a second. But before we do, I want to read some scripture. We're going to begin today in Numbers chapter 13. So Numbers chapter 13, if you want to turn there, if you go to Genesis, uh, go, you know, hang, hang a right, uh, you'll go a little ways, not very far, you'll find Numbers, pretty big book, not hard to find. All right, we're going to read uh, Numbers 13, 26 through 33, we're going to jump and read one verse out of chapter 14, and then we're going to go to Joshua and read a few scriptures there. So, good little bit of scripture, hang in there. It's good. They came back to Moses. This is, this is happening, a little context here. Uh, Moses has sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Canaan is the promised land. God at this point has brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's now sending them into the promised land, into Canaan. Uh, this land that he had promised would be flowing with milk and honey. Basically everything they need and then some. He's saying, I'm about to send you in here. Moses sends 12 spies into Canaan. They go explore the land. They bring back some of its fruit. Um, and so this is where we're picking up. Is they're on the brink of going into what God's promised. They're on the brink of stepping into this. And the, the spies are coming back. And now this is where we're at. So they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. So they found it just as God said. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. If you can think you can do better with these names, come give it a shot. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced. So listen, God's about to do something extraordinary for them and through them and, and to advance his purpose. If you look at verse 28, there's a but. And so they're already leaning towards not doing what God is purpose for them to do. And it says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. 
But the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So they're saying, look, this is impossible. If you go to verse 30 in chapter 14, it says this, God is speaking to the Israelites now, to the people. They've rebelled against God. They said, we don't want to go. We don't, we want to go back to, to Egypt and we'd rather our children die in slavery in Egypt than to go into this land and be killed. And so God is telling them now what's going to happen. In verse 30, he says, Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. All right, let's go now to Joshua chapter 1. A few verses here. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Joshua now is coming here. You're about to read where Moses is dead. Joshua steps in as the leader. God's about to tell Joshua, you're going to lead these people into the promised land. You're going to take them where they're supposed to go. So it says in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you, you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous, but be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Last section of scripture, Joshua chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 13. This is now after uh, Joshua's prepared the people. He actually sent two spies into the land. They come back. They are about to advance and go into the land of Canaan. Uh, the issue is between them and Canaan is a river. At this point in the season, the river is at flood stage, um, as it says later on in chapter 3. And so they're facing uh, this crossing of the river first. And so this is where we're picking up Joshua uh, 3, 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will, exalt, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, see, the Ark of the Covenant 
of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Well, let's pray and then we're going to jump into this. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your truth. God, today I pray your spirit would move in us, God, that um, faith would arise. God, that faith in your word and trust in your word, belief in your word, God, that we would become more dependent on your truth, your instruction. God, that we'd hold firm to that, that we'd hold firm to you, God. That we'd walk in faithfulness out of love and, and out of trust in, in what you've provided us, Lord, in your word. God, we love you and thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, quick question, as I usually do. I like to start out with uh, maybe a question or something just to get you thinking a little bit. But how many of you, when you came to faith in Christ or you began a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, um, how many of you, when it began, you thought, now that I have faith in Jesus, now that I have a relationship with Christ, things are going to get easier. How many of you would say that? Anybody? No, just don't raise your hand because most all of you thought that, right? Um, and, and so a lot of people do that. A lot of times it's because we're misinformed. We come into a relationship with Christ and we think it's going to get easy. We're kind of maybe in a roundabout way sort of even promised that. Um, in the message we hear, that things are going to just get easier. Um, it's going to be good. Now that I'm right with God, now that I have faith in Jesus, things are going to get easy and it's not going to be difficult. Now, those of you who um, thought that, how many of you have found that to not be true? Let me tell you how many, 100% of you, that's how many. Uh, because it doesn't. In fact, most people I talk to and I hear people, especially folks who are new to faith, that when they come and talk to me about something going on, one of the things I hear consistently is, I thought when I came to faith, I thought when I began my relationship with God through Jesus, that things would get easier, but they've not gotten easier, they've gotten harder. And that's very common for us. And in fact, I would say that's most people's experience. I think the challenge in that for us and, and, and for others who've come to faith is this, that somehow we're still caught off guard by the fact that things don't really get easier. Sometimes they get harder. Sometimes the most difficult thing about the faith and about the Christian faith, about God fulfilling his purposes in us and, and through his church, sometimes the most difficult aspect of this is just continuing the fight because it's not always easy. When you look at this, look, God has brought the Israelites, this group of people that he's put his hand on. He's brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. They see him do great miracles. He brings them out and they're taking, he's taking them to this land that he says is filled with milk and honey, this good land. And he's promised them this and he gets them there. And the first sign of adversity, what do they do? We want to go back. 
We want to go back. We don't want to do this. This is too hard. This is too difficult. It's unsure. Look, we thought this was going to be easy. I mean, God said he'd go before me. He said he was going to, you know, wipe out our enemy. Look, we... We, we thought this was something different than what we signed up for. Let's go back to Egypt. Our children can die in slavery because we can't do this. And I see that constantly and consistently in people's lives. I, I see the temptation of that in my own life. I see that the, the church in that place, that oftentimes when things get challenging and difficult, what do we do? We just back up. We just go the other way. Why? Because it's not easy. The thing is, though, if we're going to do anything for God, if God's going to fulfill his purpose in you and in me and most importantly in us and through us, then we're going to face adversity. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. There are going to be tough days. There are going to be days you want to quit. There's going to be days you want to give up. There's going to be times you just want to throw in the towel. In fact, this week was full of those times for me. If I'm perfectly honest, it's full of those times. It'd just be easier to quit the fight, right? Let's just quit the fight. Let's just go with the, with, the, with the flow. Let's quit going against the grain. Let's not do anything different. Let's just, let's just take the easy route. The problem is nothing great is accomplished by going the easy way. But our temptation is the same temptation that the Israelites faced. When we look at this, it's crazy that we're still surprised by adversity, even in our faith. I mean, Jesus tells us plainly in John 16, 33, he's told them that he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's told them, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be raised up into heaven, but I'm coming back. He said, I told you these things. This is in, in John 16, 33. He says, I'm telling you these things so that in me you may have peace. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. He says, look, if you're gonna have peace while you're here, it's gonna be because of what I've told you. If you're gonna have peace while you're here, it's gonna be in me. He says, you're gonna have trouble. Trouble's going to come. Trouble's going to be there. Adversity's going to be there. You're gonna face some mountains, but don't forget the fact that I told you that if you'll have faith in me, that your faith can move mountains that I can bring you through those things, that I will get you through those things. We can't turn back at every sign of adversity. We can't turn back because the task looks too daunting. He tells us in there, we're gonna have trouble. I want you to listen to this. This is, this is really the definition or some more words to describe the Greek word for trouble. These are words describing that word. Listen to these and see if they sound familiar. Pressure, oppression, stress, anguish, tribulation, adversity, affliction, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. Anybody? It literally means the word, if you wanted to picture it in your mind, it would be as though you set maybe um, some small pillows on top of each other. 
The word literally means that you would like take your hand and you would press it down as far and as hard as it could go so that what was loose and it was, you know, um, fluffy. Um, it, it's now, it's been pressed, it's been squeezed, it's been pushed as far as it can be pushed. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying in this world, you're going to be pushed. In this world, you're going to be squeezed. In this world, you're, you're going to face opposition. In this world, you're going to face adversity. In this world, you're going to face negative comments. In this world, you're going to face people that think you're strange because you live differently. In this world, you're gonna, they're going to, they're going to, come after you they're gonna cause adversity to you in this world you will have trouble but he says listen faith in me overcomes the world trust in me overcomes the world what is the world the world is the world system listen it's everything that was broken by sin it's not the way God intended it to be it's the world is broken but see, Jesus said, if you're going to have peace, it's going to be in me. It's going to be trusting in me. Look, if we look to the world to fulfill us, to, to give us peace, it's never going to be consistent. But he says, listen, I've overcome the performance system. I've overcome the worries of life. I've overcome death. I've overcome this world. But you can't find your life in this world your joy in this world. Yes, operate in this world. Do everything as though you're doing it for the Lord. Take chances, take steps of faith as I lead you, but understand that at the end of the day, your hope is not in the success or failure in this world. Your hope is in me. And see, that doesn't make you not try. That gives you the ability to take greater steps of faith. It gives you the ability to try harder. I want you to hear this statement because I believe it's a big issue in the church today. That Satan's personal attacks are designed to disrupt our God-given corporate purpose. The adversity we face, we do have an enemy who brings things. Some of it's just we live in a world, man, that's broken, and sometimes it's tough. But there are attacks and the adversity that comes against us. Satan sets up a system, the world, in a way that it's designed to disrupt our God-given corporate purpose. This is one of the things the enemy does. If he can, if he can um, afflict us, if he can cause us to, to, to fade away, to back up, then we as the church will never accomplish our purpose. If he can take us out individually, one by one, then what ends up happening is the church as a whole is left ineffective because we can't accomplish what God wants us to accomplish alone. And so we see this. One of the issues in the church though, and listen, is most of what, a lot of what's talked about in the church is directed towards the individual's wholeness. It's directed towards the individual's purpose. It's directed towards the individual's uh, life and fulfillment. And listen, I'm not, don't call me a heretic, because I'm not saying that's not true. What I would say about that, though, is that that is incomplete. See, 
We, as we look at this and we look at the life that Jesus promises, my individual life is not the end goal. My individual life is a means to the end goal. As I become whole, as I become joyful in the Lord, as I begin to walk in the ways of Christ, then God begins to use me along with you to accomplish what he desires to accomplish, which is filling this earth with the glory of his name, of who he is. These individual attacks keep us focused inwardly. Adversity distracts. I want you to, for a second, put yourself in Joshua's shoes. Think about where he's at. Think about some of the, uh, the thoughts that Joshua would have had. Kind of back away from Numbers 13 and even 14.30 and Joshua 1 and 3. And think about where he was. Think about what he may have been feeling. Think about the thoughts he would have been having. And see if this is ever true of you. Numbers 13, he is there and he's gone into the land and man, he's seen it. He and Caleb have seen it. And they know our God is with us. We can take it. But then he's standing there and as he hears this conversation that's taking place, Caleb steps up and he's encouraging him. We can certainly do this. But then there's 10 others who are saying, no, it's too hard. It's not going to happen. They're too big. They're too strong. They're too powerful. We're little. They're big. We can't do this. And you know, Joshua was standing there and he's looking at it and he's like, but this is what God has promised. Even the promise that it's a land filled with milk and honey. Out of your own mouths, you said that his promise is true. Now let's go get what is ours. But he's sitting there and he's hearing this and he realizes in verse uh, 30, he realizes that I'm going to get to go in, but it's 40 years from now. We don't like to wait for a burger for two minutes. We're in the drive-thru for more than a couple of minutes. We're like, this is ridiculous. How would you like to wait 40 years to get what you were promised? How would you like to see that? Do you think, listen, do you think there might have been a little bit of discouragement and disappointment that came over Joshua? Think about it. We look at these biblical heroes and, and we think about them as invincible and as superhuman. They're just like us. The only flawed people that God used in the Bible were all of them. They were all messed up. Just like me and you. He's not perfect. He's not sitting there going, well, thus says the Lord in 40 years, I'm going to go into the promised land. He feels just like we do. Would you be a little discouraged, a little disappointed? What's, what's been in your life that, that, man, I thought this was where God was taking me. I thought this was it. And I'm not even talking about your wants and your, boy, God put this in my heart. Why is it not happening? I feel like this is a promise. Why am I not seeing it? Have you ever been a little discouraged? A little bit disappointed? And see, if I'm Joshua, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. 
if I'm Joshua and I'm there and now I'm discouraged and now I'm disappointed and it's all because these 10 guys, they came against us and they said we can't do it when I know we can do it. What do you think I want to do to those 10 guys? You're going to make me wait all these years because you don't believe. Disappointed, discouraged, ticked off. Then, the next thing that I'm going to look at after I back away from it, and, I, and, and this is just me, y'all. I might not be just screwed up, but this is just me. After I back away from it, probably a little bit of self-righteousness starts seeping in. Because I look at it and I go, you know, this sucks, but God did promise that Caleb and I will go in because I believed. Man, I'm special. There's something special about me. This must be about me. Man, I'm better than they are. Kind of look down at them and I'm like, y'all, y'all just go ahead and die so I can go in. People of little faith. Because the church would surely never take that posture. You're not as good as we are. But I mean, that's the temptation. That's the tendency. I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm disappointed. I, 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 I'm angry. I'm, and now, man, I, I'm just glad I'm better than everybody else. After that, man, he's waiting 40 years. You think there was ever a moment of doubt? Gosh, I know God said, but is it going to happen? Man, this is 40, 40 decades. If it didn't happen then, will it happen the next time? Doubt begins to creep in. How about incompetence, maybe? Thinking, I don't know, like, like go to Joshua chapter 1. If you look down there at verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous because who is going to lead these people in? You. If I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, wait a minute. He just put all this on me? Moses, the greatest prophet in the history of Israel, couldn't accomplish this. He couldn't lead these people, these grumbling, miserable, stiff-necked people that I thank God I'm not like. He couldn't lead them in. How am I going to do it? There's no, how could I do this? There's no possibility for this to be accomplished if he's looking to me. Am I greater than Moses? Then how about timidity and fear beginning to creep in? Loss of courage. Is it going to happen or is it really intended to happen? Did God really say that or was Moses doing something else on that mountain? Maybe he was thinking some crazy stuff. Is it really God's promise? Listen, God didn't tell him four times in chapter one to be strong and courageous because he was. 
If he was strong and courageous in and of himself and he was just ready to go and like, God, just, just tell me when. God wouldn't have said over and over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why did he tell him be strong and courageous? Because it's not going to be easy, Joshua. And when you think it's not going to work, you're going to have to trust me and you're going to have to keep stepping. And when all the odds are against you, you keep stepping and you keep stepping. And Joshua, if you do this in your own strength, you're going to struggle, son. So what you need to do is you need to rest in me because in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, Joshua. I'm going to overcome the world. I'm going to use you to overcome these people. And I'm going to send my people into this land. And they're going to take the land. They're going to occupy the land. And we're going to transform the land. And Joshua, as long as you trust in me, no one's going to stop you. Everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to give you that land. Not because of who you are, Joshua, but because of who I am. And he's telling us, church, that if we won't shrink back from adversity, if we won't shrink back from stopping, short, if we won't shrink back when the going gets tough and we'll continue to pursue, even when it doesn't look like it's going to happen, even when things look like they're against us, if we'll keep stepping, not individually, about me and about what I want, if we'll keep stepping because it's about God and together we're going to do this and we'll keep moving and we'll keep pursuing, not even the gates of Hades will stop the church. How did Joshua overcome these things? Discouragement, disappointment, anger, self-righteousness, doubt, incompetence, timidity, fear. How did he overcome them when we're imperfect people who want to quit, who want to stop? I told the first service this. I'm going to tell you too. Look, there has not been a day in a long time that I did not want to be up here more than I did not want to be up here today. Just being honest. It's not because I don't love God. It's not because I don't love his word. It's not because I don't love this church. It's not because I don't love preaching. It's not because I don't love any of that right now. Maybe other times. But it's because of the week I have. It's because right now, I don't feel worthy of being here. This week I've been praying, what can I tell them? What can I encourage them with? Like, God, what can I really say that doesn't make me a stinking hypocrite? And I can go get the sticky note where I wrote it down when I felt like the Lord spoke it to my heart. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, guys. We're not going to fulfill God's purposes. We're not going to take land and transform land. We're not going to occupy land spiritually in that sense of transforming it to the glory of God because it's easy. How did Joshua fight through all that stuff? Numbers 1430, listen. I believe this, that there was a temptation in this verse when he finds out that he and Caleb are going to be the only ones. There was a temptation to self-righteousness, but there's also a great promise. 
And I believe in this, that Joshua overcame the discouragement. We can overcome discouragement. We can overcome disappointment because we know the promises of God. That in the world, there's going to be trouble. I'm going to be pressed. I'm going to be squeezed. There's going to be hard times. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm even going to get angry. But you know what? I'm going to keep stepping, and I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to keep moving. And even when it feels like all hell is coming against me by the power of God and the resolve he's put in my heart, I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other, and hell is not going to come against the child of God. He's promised. He became honest instead of self-righteous. He held on to God's promise. Listen, if you look at Joshua 1, 3 and 4, just listen to the first part of 3. He's telling him he's about to give them the land. What, is, what, is, what does God say to him? He says, I will give you every place. Don't say it'll be easy, but he says, I will give you see Joshua had to come to a place of honesty and it probably happened really quick he probably recognized it really quick we're about to cross that river it's that flood stage how's this gonna happen if it's gonna happen I gotta get real honest with me and realize that I'm not great enough to make this happen so if this is gonna happen then I've got to throw all of my weight on the one who can make it happen because I can't do it We got to get to that place. Because if we're honest, none of us can do it. We're all in the same boat. We can't accomplish God's purposes. We can't accomplish God's purpose on our life. We can't do it. We can manipulate some response, but we can't bring somebody into a relationship with God. We can't transform a land by our power and our wisdom. We gotta get honest instead of self-righteous and admit that if you wanna get right down to it, the only difference between me and the person in the world that the church has looked down its nose at is that I'm covered in the blood of Jesus simply because God gave me the ability to trust in him and trust in faith, and, and, and that's the only difference. Apart from Jesus, I'm still a sinner. I'm no better. So if God is gonna do something, it's gonna be through his ability. His power, his working in me, his working through me, and more importantly, him working through us and, and accomplishing what he has for his church, the big C church, not connection church, his church. Another thing I see in this is he became dependent when he could have been doubtful. And, and I want to be clear in this. You never take a step of faith. You, ne you never take any step of faith that you're like, man, I'm 100% sure. If you do, then praise God. But I don't. And there's, there's, there's a, usually a little bit of angst, a little bit of wondering. But how did he get beyond that? He became dependent. God told him, listen, be strong and courageous. He says, look, be strong and courageous. And if you'll remember my law, in other words, if you'll remember my instruction, 
if you'll follow my words, if you'll trust in my word to lead you, what I've given you and what I'm going to show you to lead you, if you'll be dependent on that, if you'll be dependent on me, you don't have to doubt because it's just as sure to happen as the sun coming up because we see his faithfulness. He became effective and courageous instead of incompetent and timid and fearful. Verse 1, 5, he says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How did he become courageous and effective? And how did he step through the, the, the discouragement, the disappointment? How did he, listen, I believe the biggest thing, he didn't become strong and courageous because God told him, just lead these people. He became strong and courageous because God promised him, I'm never leaving you. No matter where you go, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what it takes, no matter when you feel all alone, no matter when you feel like the world's against you, listen to me, understand this, no matter when your boss is being a jerk, no matter what's going on, listen to me, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be with you. If I'm for you, who's gonna be against you? And if they're against you, who cares? Because I'm greater. Keep stepping. Keep going, keep moving, draw strength in me because I am here. Not only am I beside you, but as we talked about last week, I am in you to give you courage and strength. Now, the last part of this, I, I, all that sounds great, right? Yes! Be strong and courageous. You know how long that lasts, though? Until the first sign of adversity comes. And then the panic says, well, okay, what do I do? Look, here's the hard part. If you've been around here for very long, you've heard me preach out of this Joshua chapter three before. And you know this, if you've been around for a while, when did the water in the river part? When they stepped into it, we don't like it that way. Think about it. How do we want it? We want the water to part and then I'll step. But if what I'm stepping into is sure, it's not a step of faith. We step and then the water parts. We step and then we keep, you move. You can't move if you never step. And some of us are standing facing adversity and maybe we haven't turned back yet, but we're just standing and this thing's in front of us and we're scared to death and we don't know what to do. And so we just keep standing there looking at it. We need to get our eyes off of this and put our eyes on him. See, the hard part is this, that it's trusting God's word enough to keep stepping when the outcome is unclear. 
if you hadn't heard much of anything else, hear that. It's really trusting God's word, trusting his instruction, trusting his leading enough that I'm going to keep stepping even when the outcome is unclear. I don't step in faith consistently because of what I feel. I don't step in faith consistently because of what I see physically. I don't step in faith consistently because of what I hear in my ears. step in faith because I trust in God's word. I trust in his faithfulness to preserve his word and to do his word in my life. I keep stepping. Listen, I trust God's perspective, not my own. I trust God's purpose for my life, not my own. I would tell you this, that the greatest hindrance, you know, we, we talk about in church, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross, the Bible says, follow him. And we talk about dying to ourselves, dying to our sensual desires, dying to all of these things. I would say that the greatest hindrance to us taking up our cross and following Jesus, in other words, following him to fulfill what he has for us as a church, as, as far as our lives, that taking up our cross, the greatest hindrance to it, is not dying to our own desires as much as it is not trusting God's truth. Because if we trust God's truth, and it is the greatest authority in my life, and I believe that God's promises are true, and that he's faithful to fulfill those. If I believe he is good at heart, and, and, and his instruction is for my good and his glory, then it gives us the ability to stand on something greater than my own desires. It gives me the ability to trust in something greater than what I feel, see, or hear. And in that way, the truth really does begin to set us free. I wanna close with this because I think this is important. You know, I look at it and I see some big steps of faith that we've taken as a church in the past. Big steps of faith we've taken in our own lives. You know, and, and we've seen God be faithful in those. But I really want to encourage you with this as we close this out today. That steps of faith are not just the big things. It's not just starting a church it's not just you know making that decision or this decision steps of faith are every act of obedience that we do because of our love for God and trust in his word everything by trusting trust his word do I love him do I love him because he loves me when I didn't know what love was he, he loved me if he's that good 
I can trust him. So I want to encourage you this morning that and we keep stepping. Not just for our own wholeness. Listen, that's important, yes. But guys, there's a greater end than me. As God works in me, it's to compel me and move me to a greater purpose. It's greater than me. And in the end, it's not about me. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we just have the courage, the resolve. We'd be filled with hope. Let's pray and, and just pray that the Spirit helps us. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are faithful, God. And even when we're not, Lord, you are. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would stir us up, that your Spirit would begin to move. God, give us faith. Give us faith when we don't have any. God, uh, I just pray that we would be strengthened, encouraged to continue in your ways, to continue in your purposes. God, that you would have your way not only in our individual lives, but God, in our corporate purpose. God, I pray you'll move in your churches, your church. We love you. God, help us leave here trusting in you more. In Christ's name.